Good afternoon and welcome back. So, a bit of a housekeeping first of all. Brandy, one of our hosts and first hosts of the podcast, is no longer with us. She's successfully completed her tenure as she has now completed her university. Um, so, on behalf of Savvy, we wish her all the best and we're very appreciative of her contributions to the organisation. Now, if you've been keeping up to date with sporting developments, you may know that it is not uncommon for athletes to encounter financial predicaments. For example, according to America's most prominent sports magazine, nearly 80% of NFL players go bankrupt or broke after two years following retirement, with many NBA players also facing the same situation. But are Kiwi athletes here in New Zealand encountering financial predicaments as well? Well, it turns out that they are, or at the very least, they may be. Joining me today to discuss this matter is New Zealand rower Jack O'Leary. Jack, thanks for coming. It's great to have you here. Thanks very much. Looking forward to it. Fantastic. Absolutely. So do I. Um, So now, rowing, it seems, has been a big part of your life for a long time. Um, You attended Kavana College one of the top rowing skills in New Zealand. You have a whole list of achievements, some of which include you've competed for New Zealand at the World Junior Championships and track high with Lithuania. In 2012, you came second in the men's junior squad in the World Junior Championships. You represented New Zealand when you were 17 at the 2014 Summer Youth Olympic Games in China. You competed at the World Rowing Under-23 Championships in Plovdiv, Bulgaria. According to a 2014 news article from down south, you made your mark on the international scene in 2013, I believe, as a member of the New Zealand Quadruple Skull that won a silver medal at the World Rowing Championships. You were also quoted as saying, my ultimate dream and goal is to row for New Zealand at World Championships and Olympic level, and I would never let anything get in of that way. In 2019, you won the men's senior single skull uh, in Waikato at the New Zealand Rowing Championships. Earlier here in 2021, you competed in the Rocket Foods New Zealand Rowing Championships as part of the men's senior squad at Lake Rua Tanifa in Canterbury, and you're currently involved in the New Zealand Elite Development Program. You, you must have a pretty impressive, impressive resume, I must assume. Um, so rowing, that's that's your thing, is it? Uh, that's that's certainly one of my things. Uh, it's definitely a big part, and the, probably the you know, the the first part of of my teenage years and uh, young adult life. That was the definitely almost the be all and end all. And probably since about 2017, 18, I started to diversify uh, myself a wee bit and focus mm. a little bit more heavily on studies and. Uh, couple other aspects as well, uh, such as I helped start the Good George uh, Distillery uh, here in the Waikato, so taught myself how to distill uh, that and with the help of many YouTube videos and and forums online and a little bit of trial and error and had a couple of years out from the sport and uh, with that, I was studying full-time here at the University of Waikato in chemical engineering and um, uh, just about five weeks away from finishing my, my bachelor's. So it's been wow. a long time coming since about 2016. I've been uh, chipping away at that, so I'm quite excited to uh, have that done and dusted. 
So is rowing like the long-term vision or is it maybe a, a mixture of academic and rowing sports or is it, how does that kind of look out for you? Yeah, it's uh, definitely uh, looking into the rowing for me has been the long-term vision for, for quite a while. And now I'm, yeah, like I say, probably looking to spread myself a little bit between the academic and the sporting. So I've lined myself up pretty well to do a master's and hopefully a PhD through the research group Ahu Order here in the Waikato. And uh, that's some pretty amazing opportunities that I should be able to do alongside the Olympic and Rowing New Zealand dream. So I sort of feel like I'm having my cake and eating it too at the moment. That's pretty cool. Um, and with the New Zealand Elite Development Program, that sounds pretty high-level specialised. What is that sort of involved as a matter of interest? Uh, yeah, so I was quite fortunate this year. So I'm 24, which means that I'm too old for the Under-23 World Championships and have been for a couple of years. But this year, because of COVID, uh, I actually did, or did reasonably well out of it in that the, what would have been the under-23 program was opened up to some of us uh, old buggers as well. So that uh, because I've been out of the sport since 2016, uh, sorry, 2018 at a high performance level, it gave me a really good foundation to come back into high performance. And I was sort of fortunate enough and to make this elite development squad for summer. And... Yeah, so that's kicked off yesterday, actually, after a wee break, which has been quite nice, bit of a mental refresher, and we're getting into the training now. And, yeah, for me, that's a view to making the elite squad in March. For others, it's uh, competing at the Under-23 World Champs next year. All things going well, everyone will be vaccinated and we'll be travelling again. Mm. And so at the moment, we're starting very softly, which is quite nice. Uh, we had a decent break, and carrying a little bit of extra insulation around the middle. So uh, what we just, yeah, once or twice a day at the moment. And, yeah, just a light sort of introductory program for a couple of weeks before we really start building into some good base case. Are your training days, like, very long or are they somewhere in the middle? Uh, so one of the really good things about this development squad is that they're coming at it from a quite a holistic approach. So... The plan is that we're off water by 9.30 every morning and we don't start the afternoon training sessions until 3, so it gives you quite a bit of time in the day to study or work uh, or eat, sleep and recover, yeah. depending on your needs. Uh, yeah, which is yeah really fantastic for me and I was quite fortunate over the winter that the coaching team had a, had a great holistic approach and they, they trusted me enough to modify their training program as I needed because I had quite a reasonable life load of study and work and trying to train as well and yeah I, I couldn't have got to where I am now with without a few sort of sacrifices uh, shifting around some some of the training and yeah just to fit in that work and study as well just to keep food on the table and roof mm. over my head that's fantastic. Um, I mean, it sounds like you've got a whole wealth of experience, just not with only being a rower, but with being an athlete and experiencing that side of the New Zealand industry that I don't think too many New Zealanders would be familiar with. And that, I guess, to launch into today's topic, uh, really to look at the financial predicaments that athletes may face right here in New Zealand. Um, 
how would you how would you approach that sort of matter like drawing on your experience money troubles are they a thing can it happen what are your thoughts yeah i think massively financial would be one of the biggest stresses for a vast majority of people whether you oh, i guess uh, once you come out of home and then start becoming a little bit more independent for you know the likes of the us in new zealand uh whether you're a university student or an athlete and just getting your start in life right through to uh yeah kids and and marriage or whatever you uh you, you happen to do with your life and yeah certainly for me financial stress is is quite a big one and it i probably haven't realized it too much over the years but it's quite integral to my overall happiness as well and my performance both on and off the water and yeah, quality of life it's uh when it's got not going well it's something that is quite an underlying little thing that gnaws away at you and keeps you a little bit of stress in the back of your mind so to yeah to have put a bit of work into it and to start getting reasonably on top of it uh, so it feels quite a good bit of mental strength and uh, you get quite a bit of uh yeah your feeling of yeah sweet i've got this um that knowledge knowledge is a bit of power i guess and so that has been quite a big improvement for me especially over the last couple of years mm. so i guess with athletes and i guess in terms of like your experience and what you've um been through um are money troubles something that really can happen at the start of someone's career is it something that generally happens during the middle or is it something that we really see after they've left the sports and they've kind of had that reduction in their income from being an athlete yeah i think if i was looking at it from a high performance sort of structure that we've got if you're a success sorry successful athlete you go the start in the middle are probably the toughest times in terms of financial where you might not be getting paid and typically aren't. If you're just an amateur athlete, you're trying to divert your time between uh, making money or studying or uh, you know, just day-to-day -day living and then also trying to sustain a, a program as well in terms of your training. And that sort of leaves you uh, both time and energy poor as well, which they can compound on each other and sort of take you down a, a little bit of a hole in terms of your you know your time energy and mental health as well so yeah when i left school i was lucky enough to go i went outside of my region i grew up in dunedin and i went to blenheim actually to train and one of the reasons i actually picked that was because the structure they had set up allowed me to work pretty much a 35 40 hour week and be reasonably self-sufficient in terms of uh, my money and living situation while still maintaining a, a pretty high performance program and being in the system. And it took the two or three years out of school before I was being paid to row. And at the time you do come in and it's not, a, not an amazing salary and you still need a little bit extra to... Uh, to cover things that might pop up and as an athlete as well you've probably got a, a lot more costs that you might have to pay for and so they can be anything from from plants so 
uh, bikes, clothing, gear, heart rate monitors, gym memberships, club fees. Uh, you might have to go away on tour or to training camps and all these things sort of just cost and costs and even you'll, you'll be driving more or you'll be transporting yourself more so you'll have a higher amount of costs there. You might have to relocate where you're living to be at a, a different training base. And I think you also miss out on the opportunity costs as well. So you might not be able to you know, go for a better job because you're you know, committed to this training program. You uh, might struggle to find a job that uh, fits around the training times if you're in a team environment and you've got set training times. Uh, that can make it a little bit difficult as well. And then, of course, you're uh, spending a hell of a lot more on food typically. Uh, which tends to be the, one of the bigger parts of my week-to-week uh, -week expenditure. And having been a non-athlete or non-high-performance athlete for a couple of years and then transitioning back into uh, trying to be a high-performance athlete, the food bill or doubled or even tripled in some weeks just trying to accommodate the extra energy expenditure. I mean, certainly, I guess if you're training even – even partly throughout the day, of course, you're going to take in more calories, right? So that's more spending on food. Um, would you say then that athletes are often having to supplement their training with part-time jobs just to make those expenses met? I would say in the, in the most case, I was very lucky uh, leaving school that mum and dad were very supportive and would help out financially, especially when I started studying. And, uh, you know, their wage was a little bit too high to meet the student allowance. And it was quite a big, big focus on performance as well. And so the, the idea was if you were working, it would potentially detract from your quality of training. And so for especially the first couple of years, rowing tends to be a little bit more of a, a sport where people do have a little bit more money, just the nature of it is a very expensive sport. And people, from what I've seen, tend to be quite well supported uh, from from mum and dad, basically. Uh, but if you're not, then uh, you, you tend to do rely quite heavily on part-time jobs or scholarships if you're, if you're lucky or you know the right people. There's some pretty entrepreneurial types out there that uh, you know, from starting businesses to getting in touch with local businesses to see how they might be able to supplement their weekly bills uh, can be quite helpful as well. So it does, yeah, can take a little bit extra doing to, you know, to meet the costs. So I guess in that case, it would sound like to me that athletes are simply not getting paid enough whilst they're in training or just in general? Maybe maybe something along those lines? I don't know. What do you... Yeah, I think typically uh, we definitely always start out as amateur athletes. There's, uh, most sports you'd be struggling to walk out of school onto a salary unless you're a sport like rugby, which... Uh, is a much better spectator sport than things like rowing, brings in a lot more money, sponsorship and spectators. And so there's there's a lot more money around that can go with that. And yeah, the I know the structure has 
changing uh, a wee bit and there from what I've heard there will be a lot more money available for the athletes that are on a little bit more on the pathway so haven't quite made it to that high performance elite level where they're getting paid and there will be more support there but yeah the, the immense amount of athletes that are on that pathway it would be very difficult to uh, financially support everyone and so yeah that's where yeah you've got to be reasonably money savvy and uh, savvy with your time and energy as well. Mm, absolutely. Um, do you think that um, there may be any mismanagement from athletes in terms of their money? Is that a thing? Because I don't imagine that athletes would be very imprudent about it, but how do you feel? Yeah, from what I see, looking around, even myself, I um, you know, didn't, didn't come from a family where they were hugely financially literate. Uh, there wasn't a lot of conversations around money so much. Uh, I sort of learned a little bit of biosmosis. Mum was very diligent on, on budgeting and uh, in terms of keeping a weekly plan and sticking to a shopping list. Uh, and I think, yeah, from what I've seen, a lot of athletes are much the same unless they're studying uh, finance degrees. Those are the ones that uh, tend to be a lot more interested in, in money and, yeah, have done just a little bit of work so that they feel a lot more comfortable around keeping a budget. They know what their spending is. But, I'd, yeah, I would say the general trend is that uh, we, yeah, we're not quite sure how to manage our money as, as best we could, and that was certainly my experience coming through. And it's only been in the last couple of years where I've uh, uh, done a bit of research and learned a little bit about how to actually manage my money. Um, my God, um, it's, it's certainly such a fascinating point that you raise with, you know, because it sounds like it's just the demand nature of the support of the sport, wherein, you know, when you're coming up in the ranks as an athlete, I mean, it may be less common to get paid that full on salary as maybe if you were like a really famous top level athlete, um, I guess, if you are, if you, if someone is an athlete and they have kind of made it to those top ranks and they're uh, world famous and they're kind of raking it in with the cash, then I guess that's really like the level where athletes obviously are not having to get that extra support through either working a part-time job or grants, sponsorships, funds from your parents. That seems, that it seems to be the case. Do you think maybe? Potentially, so. If uh, some sports will, will get paid more than others, uh, I think we I think we still do pretty pretty damn well in rowing. Uh, so our I think it'll be around today, our sort of base rate for an elite would be thirty five thousand per year, which is you know enough to live on. Uh, though uh, yeah, if you're sort of not quite fantastic managing your money, then gets into a little bit more survival rather than thriving uh, with your money. And, yeah, I think there could definitely be a little bit more done that you can utilise your uh, almost your exposure to the public and your athlete nature to uh, work with people, maybe get sponsorships or uh, sort of leverage a little bit of better part-time work maybe that would... 
sort of supplement you in a field that you would do once you've left the sport. So I know there's there's a few athletes around that uh, have got really good contacts in the community. Uh, they might be engineers or uh, have finance degrees or do some sort of part-time management hours, even just shadowing companies to sort of get their foot in the door of, of industry. And there's yeah, people are starting to do a really good job of uh, thinking about what they're going to do after they stop rowing because, of course, you can't row forever. Um, but, yeah, even a lot of the, you know, the elites, the guys that we've seen on TV, uh, Eric and Hamish, the rowers, and, uh, the, yeah, they've worked pretty hard and in the early days of the early 2000s and, and when they weren't getting paid too much, they were all doing part-time work, I, I believe. And well, even before that, everything was amateur for rowing so the the guys who won the eight and 72 I think most of them had full-time jobs and they just train around around that so I'd say we're you know things are getting better and better every year for, for athletes the support I sort of look at is I see is pretty fantastic from from where I sit and I'm very very grateful to, to have what I have and the amazing uh, sort of options and support that we've got especially you know going away from the sport and almost getting a little bit of a taste of the real world, doing some, some real people's work and sort of seeing, oh, okay, I could get paid to keep fit and travel the world and, you know, do some study on the side. That looks, that's, that's not actually a bad life at all. Mm. So for athletes that are retiring or coming out of the sport, I guess, I guess that would end up just transitioning into a, a related or totally different maybe career um maybe they're like i don't know they build this brand during the career that they leverage after they retire to i don't know do public speaking i know some athletes in new zealand are doing that um have you got any observations about what athletes have done once they've retired and how it maybe has impacted their financial status or well-being is that in terms of strictly using their athlete persona to enhance their finances or athletes in general? It could definitely include that, but in terms of their finances and how they go about making their money, is is it often that we see them, you know, moving into totally different careers or similar careers even just to ensure that financial stability or do we ever see athletes in New Zealand going into any financial problems or debt or going broke after they retire? So yeah, I think now the yeah the the support and the 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 ideas and the, the the tracks that we've we've got in place is really to ensure that you know when you do stop rowing there is something there for you to turn to, and we've got some pretty amazing scholarships such as uh, prime minister scholarships which can cover up to ten thousand dollars worth uh, of studies or. Uh, anything that, you know, makes you more employable, really. So I've been pretty lucky to have it back when I was in high performance a few years ago and uh, paid for my university studies, but then I also got my Class 2 truck licence, my forklift licence, some welding courses. And, yeah, when I came out of rowing the first time, it was hugely helpful to have the truck licence and the forklift licence. It sort of went from, you know, a little bit struggling to find a job and then all of a sudden I got that and everyone was ringing me back and saying, yep, sweet, we'll hire you. And so, 
yeah, there's definitely things out there that you can leverage and use and really take advantage of. And so I'll be back in the high performance system this year and I'll be uh, using that to its fullest mm. uh, to get a few you know, little things out of and diversify my interests and my studies. And I think that has been probably the most powerful tool to get athletes uh, some security for when they leave uh, rowing. So, and I guess other sports. And yep. I guess in that giving that financial security after um, athletes are coming out of the sport, um, it's probably a good idea. I guess that they're actually studying or working towards some qualification whilst they're training when they're young. Yeah, I I reckon, and I think. For me, personally, it's it's fantastic to have something outside of sport and you know, that makes sport not quite the be-all and end-all and, yeah, I go a little bit stir-crazy if I'm not having, you know, a little bit of uh, thinking to do the outside of rowing, yeah, a bit of variety. Um, yeah, so I think, yeah, that and the, you know, study's not for everyone. And, yeah, so those that haven't studied as much, they, yeah, a lot of them are still pretty savvy and have put a few steps in place and can go out onto an apprenticeship uh, when they leave rowing. Uh, though for things like trades, uh, they're yeah, less common, probably because they're more difficult to fit around a, a study schedule mm. if you're uh, looking to go out into building or plumbing, they can be a little bit more difficult. Though certainly in rowing, the the pathway is changing a little bit and the attitude's changing. So there's more entry points to the pathway, and there's more opportunities for people to go away, spend three years getting an apprenticeship, and then come into the high performance program. And if you've done that, you've you've already got great job security. Uh, for when you leave and so that's starting to become more common and a lot more supported which is really really cool cool um when when athletes let's say with rowers or for example is there a common age for rowers to exit the industry or exit the sport and kind of transition into a different phase in their life or does it kind of vary the age that they get out they leave yeah I'd, i'd say it would vary there's Possibly quite a, a higher drop-off as you go up sort of the age groups. So we have international competitions for under-19, under-23s, and then you go up to elites. So say, oh, certainly for school-age rowers, we have the Marty Cup, which is our national schools championships, and that brings in about 3,000 students, uh, student-athletes, and we see about a 90% drop-off after they leave school which is another big goal, is to sort of see how, how much better we can get those retention rates. And then another drop-off would be that under-23 to elite transition, which is actually where I ended up taking my break, just because, well, for a few reasons, but a big one was uh, just probably wasn't quite good enough to, to make the elite squad. and uh, thought, well, I'll go and get my, get my degree sorted, get some security, get a few more strings to my bow and got a little bit of body development, mentally developed as well. And I thought, well, if I still want to row, then uh, that's fantastic. But if not, then I've got myself sorted. And 
you know, sort of got to the end of it. Thought, yeah, this is this is definitely still me, and um, uh, coming into it, and uh, yeah. So if I, you know, broke my leg tomorrow, I go sweet. This, this, is, yeah, obviously this sucks, but I can still continue doing exactly what I would be doing if I wasn't rowing, uh, which is. I can't remember who I heard it off, but they they called it the the break the leg test. And if it was if you broke your leg tomorrow, what would you be doing? And which was one of the drivers uh, for me when I decided to go and and sort my degree. I guess then uh, a question that someone would ask on this topic is: in terms of preventing any financial money troubles, really working towards qualifications or academics. Um, that that will provide you with something after sports is really the obvious answer, would you say, or are there other alternative options? Or yeah, I think for for a lot of people, it's it's a really really good way to uh, to spend your time outside of rowing and use the the benefits. Oh, sorry, I keep saying rowing, but I mean sport, and use the benefits that come with that, which uh, quite often are scholarships. So there's the prime minister scholarship and uh, most universities will have some sort of scholarship available. Uh, the Waikato's got the Sir Ed Hillary Scholarship, which is uh, pretty fantastic and has a similar level of coverage as the Prime Minister's Scholarship. And so, yeah, I'd say that'd be a pretty pretty good one in terms of getting yourself some uh, security for when you leave. And, I'd say, yeah, for me, the other thing that has helped is actually getting little odd jobs off student job search. So that's actually helped diversify my skills a wee bit. I've done a lot of handyman work, um, even just weed spraying and general farmhand work. And it's almost just sort of boost your skills a wee bit. Gives you a little bit more practical general knowledge that you can apply to to different things and almost boost your employee employability when you've got that diverse range of skills and if you've supplemented it with uh, a path of study as well, then you've you've got diversity, you've got breadth and depth uh, in terms of a few ranges of topics as well and uh, all sort of just adds little pieces of the puzzle, beefs up your CV a wee bit as well. In terms of, so we know that there can be financial predicaments potentially, of course, but do you think this has always been like something that's been a prevalence? Or has it popped up at certain periods or at one certain time? Like, say, for example, back in the 80s or the 90s, could this, um, could such money troubles have been possible for athletes or was it less or more possible back then? Like, have you heard stuff about that sort of thoughts? Uh, yeah, probably have, or then. Uh, sort of before I was born and walking, haven't heard too much about uh, sort of back in the day, and um, so I could only sort of say generally that uh, you know, potentially the the cost of living might have been lower, uh, but yeah, certainly there was uh, a lot of people still managing to study and work and row uh, at the same time. I uh, know uh, one row who. It was at three Olympics from sort of 84 or 88 and 92. And over that time, he managed to get a master's in engineering and was on the books at an engineering firm uh, for about five or six of those years. And he said, 
it was you know one of the best things that I had this continuous period of employment and I might have only been in the office once every three months but I was on the books and it helped a hell of a lot when I exited rowing and was able to go and, and get a job and it was like yep sweet he's he's been here for five or six years he's done some good work for us I guess it kind of reinforces the point of working towards some sort of qualification while an athlete is training, right, to get that security. Yeah. Um, now, I wanted to touch on that point. You've competed overseas, so I assume, you know, you've kind of, your experience with dealing with overseas athletes, do you think that financial predicaments are a thing overseas for those competing in other countries? Is it is it similar to New Zealand? Is it less or more severe? Like, do you have any idea of how that looks? Yeah, I I know that uh, certainly for, for Rowan New Zealand, we're one of the better funded uh, programs out there and certainly would have one of the best best financial supports. For a lot of other athletes and indeed New Zealand athletes, there's the opportunity to go and study in the United States and get a full scholarship there, which is a pretty amazing opportunity. Uh, you get to go out, you get to see the world, uh, make some great connections and still row at a high level. And, yeah, that's, you know, a pretty cool pathway. And, you know, obviously, you know, if you're coming out of school and, you know, have very little financial support, you can get everything paid for over there, which is pretty amazing. And, uh, like I said, the pathway at, at rowing now is there's a lot of opportunity to, to come back into the high performance system after that and that's been a, a really big work on in the recent years I know uh, but yeah I'd say that the sort of similar financial predicaments are sort of felt the world over with young athletes a lot of the same sort of trends you'd see you know increased training programs and not as much time I'd say you know, potentially job opportunities. There's, they're quite diverse here in New Zealand. We've got uh, a lot of rural and, and manual labour work that you can do from through to that to cafes and other little skills you might be able to turn your hand at. And, yeah, certainly, uh, to, you know, can depend on where you are and your own situation a wee bit. Uh, but, yeah, that is yeah, sort of one of the mm. things that has, yeah, helped me through the years. In terms of that sort of financial stability and the whole topic here, do you think the financial predicaments that we see amongst athletes, does it vary from industry to industry or does it depend on how much funding is received? Let's say, for example, as someone who competes in rowing that has this great deal of funding, more less likely to experience financial predicaments than someone who is competing in another industry here in New Zealand, another sports industry that maybe has less funding. Is that some sort of factor or? Yeah, it could quite easily be. There's, uh, yeah, certainly other sports you might actually have to travel a lot more. You can often have a lot more competitions and have less support and we're quite fortunate in rowing that a lot of our plant is owned by our clubs just because it is so expensive to you know, to buy a, a whole quad or an eight is sometimes forty or fifty or sixty thousand dollars. And so a lot of it is owned by our 
our national sporting body, for our high-performance athletes or our clubs own a lot of the plants and you just pay your club fees. And then as uh, rowing in general only tends to have one or two big competitions each year, so the travel was you know, somewhat less relative to a lot of other sports. So we've got some really good friends that are triathletes and you get, um, you know, you have to travel a lot and uh, their, their funding is less and sometimes, you know, they're relying on prize money and sometimes the, even if you win, the prize money might only cover your entry fee and transport and accommodation sort of costs. And so, yeah, I'd say definitely every sport has its own, own sort of, yeah, nature of, uh, pluses and minuses potentially, so more individual sports you potentially could work your training program a little bit more around your own schedule, uh, but then you might have less support as well, so it could be a bit of a double-edged sword, and yeah, I think probably yeah, communication would be one of the biggest things, communicating with your employers and your coaches, and or certainly for me, uh, lecturers, and I've found that you'd be almost reasonably surprised at what, uh, you know, how far out of the way people go to help you if you've communicated and, uh, yeah, given them fair warning of things as well. Do you think there could be more discussion around the potential financial risks that can potentially come with taking on an athletic career? Do you think some, that's something that should be discussed more in New Zealand amongst athletes? Yeah, I think, yeah, almost a sort of discussion of the, the potential, yeah, risks or uh, different problems that might come up and how to combat these as well. And a lot of them are pretty similar sort of guidelines that you might give anyone for budgeting and, uh, you know, running your money. And, yeah, I think for... Yeah, it'd be hard, hard to say what sort of level you'd want to target it at. Possibly a, a school-age athlete or just coming out of school and how to manage your money would, would be quite a cool uh, little thing. And, yeah, I might sort of talk to a few people and see what we can put in place or just start having conversations as well. Potentially New Zealand is often quite tight-lipped about things like money. Mm. It can be a sensitive yeah. topic, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whereas I, I almost sort of love nerding out over a little bit and keeping a budget and a spreadsheet and knowing where my money goes. Uh, but yeah, mm. certainly not the case for everyone. I mean, yeah, and it's good to talk about all these points and interesting to hear the, the input and the perspectives that you bring to this. And I feel this has been an amazing discussion on those matters. Um, so look, it's been fantastic to have you here for today's podcast. Um, thank you so much for giving up your time and I hope all goes well with your future training and career outlook and academia um, but thank you so much for being here today, it's been a pleasure to have you and talk to you about these awesome. matters Thanks so much Damien, my pleasure, it's fantastic So that's been it for today's podcast, thanks for tuning in and catch you on the next round